Erev Tov, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Parashat HaShavua class where we study the works of Rabbi Eliezer Bittermin Shlita in Be'er HaTorah, Torah Wellsprings, beautiful works on the Parashat HaShavua where he, what can we say, uh, touches upon amazing ideas to help us become a better Jew because that is the goal in life. Uh, looking at Parashat Terumah, as we are studying this week, and we're going to read this week, Parashat Terumah seems very esoteric in the fact that it deals with the construction of the Mishkan, and uh, we don't have a Mishkan today. So one can argue, okay, what is this parasha going to do to me? How is it going to affect me in any way? The building of the Mishkan, I hope that the Bet HaMidash is going to be built soon. We pray for Mashiach to come, but right now, it's not. So it's great to, to read about this and to study the dimensions of each vessel, um, every the Aron, the Mizbeach, so on and so forth. But what does it do to me? And uh, that is what hopefully we can walk out with some ideas that can help shape us into being better Jews. Rashi says regarding the menorah, which was discussed in this week's parasha, the building of the menorah, that Moshe didn't understand what the menorah should look like. So God told him, simple, Throw the kikar, throw the measurement of gold into the fire, and it will become a menorah on its own. That's what the Midrash says. That's what happened. Moshe Rabbeinu took the kikar, whatever gold was required, threw it into the fire, and the menorah came out. The word kikar is a very strange term. Why couldn't the Midrash say, just throw, why couldn't Hashem tell Moshe, just throw the gold into the fire? What's kikar, the measurement? So kikar has an alternate meaning. Kikar also means a loaf of bread. And therefore, some of our rabbis want to explain Rashi the following. Throw your worries of bread. Throw your worries of parnasah into the fire, onto Hashem. And let Him take care of your parnasah. Let Him take care of the menorah on its own. It will happen on its own. Many times, a person doesn't know how he's going to earn money in life. And the Torah advises him, Throw your parnasah to God, trust in Him, and He will support you. The great of Shalom Shwadron, Zecher Tzadik Libracha, once saw a Vicheska Levinstein, the great Mashkiach of the Mir, in immense joy. He was very, very happy. And he said, why are you so happy? So he told him, he says, you know, when I was the Mashkiach in Yeshiva and Mir, the paycheck didn't always come in time. And the situation kind of forced me to put my trust in God, to believe in Him that He was going to provide me with the money I needed. And then when I came to Eretz Israel and I was offered to be the Mashkiach in the Panovich Yeshiva, the Panovich Yeshiva had a lot of money to its name. And I didn't have to wait for checks. So although I wasn't worried about my Parnassah, but I had to be worried about my Bitachon because no longer was I having trust in God. So in Mir, my constant, my, my, my financial situation was a was a constant reminder that I must trust in God. And that's where I am now. I've been in yeshiva for eight months. The money isn't coming. 
Life's difficult. I don't know when I'm going to get the next check. So once again, I have to trust in God. And that's why I'm happy. The fact that I'm able to have this bitachon. Where do we see this from? We see this from Lavan. Lavan told Yaakov when they were in negotiations of how much money Yaakov was going to make. Lavan said, He says, state your wages and I will pay. The Radak writes that Lavan wanted to pay Yaakov like a paid worker. A fixed wage. Yaakov didn't agree. Why? Because if he had a set wage, a set salary, he wouldn't feel obligated to turn his eyes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for his parnasa. So what did he prefer? He preferred that his wages should be the sheep that are born akudim, teluim, brudim, spots, stripes, blotches. Those are the sheep that I want. That should be my payment. Because in this arrangement, he knew he had to be totally dependent on Hashem and his mercy for Parnassah. If all the sheep are going to be born white, he won't get any payment. None of them have spots. He preferred the risk over a prearranged salary so he can continuously turn his eyes to Hashem. Teilim lists four people who were saved from danger and must praise God. And the Teilim actually divides him into two categories in the way it's addressed. So one of them is those who cross the desert or sea. Those are people, that's one category of people. Their lives were in danger, they're lost in the desert, they didn't know the way out, or they were in, a, uh, they were in the middle of a storm on a, on a ship. The ship almost capsized, Hashem saved them, and therefore they have to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The second category are people who are sick. People who were ill and became healed. And they were, or they were freed from jail. So now, the first category, the ones who were lost in the desert or lost at sea, the Pasuk calls their prayers Vayitz'aku. Vayitz'aku is a very intense form of tefillah. And their salvation is called Yatzilem, a complete salvation from God. Whereas the second category, the people who were sick and were healed and those freed from jail, the term used for prayer is Vayizaku. Vayizaku is, it's prayer, but the shouts aren't sincere. And their salvation is Yoshiaim. It's not perfect. What's the difference? Why is the first group, the people lost in the desert, the people stuck at sea and were saved, more powerful, more intense, and the salvation more complete than the people who were sick and then got healed or were freed from jail. So the Malbim explains, because those who, who traveled by sea or in the desert knew nobody in the world could help them other than God. They were wandering the desert not knowing what was going to be with them. They were being tossed around in the sea by a violent storm. Who could help them other than Hashem? And therefore, their devoted prayers were called Vayitz'aku. Because it was complete, and therefore their salvation was complete. Yatsilem. Those who were sick and got healed, or those who were sick, or those who were in prison, to a small degree, they were relying on the doctors. They were relying on the lawyers to save them from jail or from this illness. So they don't recognize that they are totally dependent on Hashem. And therefore their prayer is of a lesser form. Vaizaku. And their salvation is from a lesser form, Yoshi'em. 
A mashal is told of a person who fell deeply into debt. His friends told him, listen, in such and such city, there lives a very wealthy person. If you can meet this person, he will pull you out of debt. But they warned him. Very hard to get a meeting with this person. So he asked many people for advice. How can I meet this guy? What do I got to do to be face to face with him? And everyone answered, we don't know. He's so hard to get a reach up. Ah, it's crazy. No one can get a, a, a meeting with him. Uh, so he said, you know what? Worth a try. I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to travel to this country to meet this person. Maybe I could get an appointment. Who knows? Maybe Hashem will help me. After his first shachrit in the local Bet Midrash of the city where this philanthropist lived, he spoke with the guy who was standing next to him, who was praying. He goes, listen, I'm here. I'm trying to meet this philanthropist. I need to help. I'm in debt. People told me I could meet him. And if I meet him, I'll be, I'll be saved from all my financial troubles. And so on. And they kept on talking. And the man replied and says, you know, I know him quite well, actually. I know I said Rayom. I know what he does during the day. I'm with him every day. And the more they spoke, the more they realized that the guy who was in debt was actually talking to the wealthy philanthropist himself. He realized he no longer needed people's help to secure a meeting with the wealthy person. He was speaking to him face to face. That's the mashal. What's in the mashal? What do we learn from here? When one has a problem, his mind searches for solutions. Even while he's saying amidah, his daily prayer, his mind is jumping from idea to idea, searching for a solution. And we tell this person, now when you are praying amidah, your, your tefillah, don't let your mind wander. Right now you're speaking directly with God. God can help you. Keep your focus solely on Him. You're going to receive your salvation. Continuing with the idea of the menorah, the main lamp of the menorah was its middle one. There were seven lamps. The Pasuk says, Make seven lamps. And light them towards the middle one. So the middle one was also the smallest, the shortest branch. The other six had to bend out before reaching its full height. If you picture in your mind what, how menorah looks like. The Imre Emet, Zecher Tzadik Libracha, says that this hints to the attribute of anava, humility. The one who considers himself the smallest is actually really the greatest. The one where everyone looks towards. And we see a hint to this through the Keruvim. The Keruvim, the cherubs, were the faces, uh, the face of the Keruvim on top of the Aron in the Kodesh HaKodashim was actually those of children. And this tells us to consider ourselves small no matter what level we reach. About the Aron, the Holy Ark, it says, Ve'asu Aron Make the Aron of Shittim wood two and a half amot long, an ama and a half wide, ama and a half high. The Kli Yakar, who by the way I believe is one of the best commentaries when studying the parashiot of the building of the Mishkan. He says all the measurements, all the dimensions of the Aron were Shevurot, were half. Two and a half long. One and a half wide, one and a half high. And he says, why is that? Why is it not complete amot? And he says, because everyone should think that he hasn't reached perfection when it comes to wisdom. When it comes to the Torah, which is represented by the Aron. 
Similarly, the Bala Turim writes, all of the measurements were in half amot. The teacher said, whoever studies Torah must humble himself. The Chidusha Arim even talks about Chodesh Adar, the month that we're in right now, that Adar stands for Adluf Dar Resh, that Hashem dwells with the humble. That's where HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to dwell upon, those who are humble. One of the traits of humility are people who are Shomea Cherpatam Ve'ena Meshivim. Shomim Cherpatam Ve'ena Meshivim. They can hear other people disgrace them, yet they don't answer back. They aren't passionate of, about guarding their honor and their pride. And they prefer to be silent rather than engage in machloket. And there are countless stories of people who saw amazing Yeshuot and salvations in their lives because they held back, answering back people that, that belittled them and embarrassed them. There was once a Gabai in a Lakewood synagogue who invested lots of effort in raising money to build the Bet Midrash. And he was successful in, ra- in raising an enormous sum of money Thanks his efforts, uh, they gave him to be like the Gabai, the one in charge of the Bet Midrash. And he insisted that no one speak during Tefillah, which is a good thing to insist upon. And each week before Kriyat Torah, he stood up on the Bima and he said, In this shul, no one speaks from the beginning of Tefillah until the end. Now, you can imagine every synagogue has those people that uh, like to talk and didn't appreciate the announcement. And they mocked him, and they shouted sarcastically, Hazaku Baruch, Hazaku Baruch, Yesher Koach, meaning, you know, I don't need to hear this again. Again, you're telling me this, leave me alone. And this happened every week, he would get up and give the same message, and he suffered from their jeering and their booing, but it didn't stop him, because this was something that was important to him. But one week, the insults that were said were really piercing and far worse than usual. And these scoffers who were mocking him said, who are you to tell us what to do? Just because you have a loud voice doesn't make you in charge. I also have a loud voice. And he came down from the bima, embarrassed, in shame, but he didn't answer back. And after the tefillah, he went over to his friend and he gave him his merit of humiliation. This friend of his was married for 17 years and he was childless. He and his wife were childless. And the Gabai told him, I give you the merit of my shame that I just endured. And may you have children in the merit of my silence. The next two weeks, this Gabai got up to give his announcements, but his heart wasn't in it anymore. He was very hurt by the humiliation that took place. And then eventually he felt, I can't pray here. But he still kept up with all of his friends and his buddies especially with the man that he gave him his merit, the Zechut. One day, the Gabai went up to the friend and said, listen, soon is going to be the Hilula of a great Tzaddik. Many people receive lots of Beracha and Yeshua over there by his graveside. Let's go to the town. Let's go pray by his kever, and maybe you're going to have children. So the man said, listen, it's been 18 years since my wedding. I lost hope. My wife lost hope of ever having children. But the Gabai urged him, please reconsider. Maybe this is what you need to marry children. 
So the friend told him, listen, if you go back to the people that embarrassed you in our Bet Midrash and make peace with them, then I will go with you to the Kever to pray so that I can have a child. So that wasn't an easy request, but this was so important for the Gabai that his friend go to the Kever of the Tzaddik. He said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So he made up with them and then they asked him for forgiveness and they begged him to come back to the Bet Midrash and they promised they wouldn't embarrass him again. And then the friend went with the Gabai to the Kever of the Tzaddik and less than a year later, the friend had a young daughter. Unbelievable. This friend was then quoted in saying there are, that our rabbis tell us there are three partners in creation. There is the father, the mother, and God. But for this child, there are five partners because there was also the Gabai's shame, the fact he was humiliated, and also in the merit of the tzaddik that I went to go pray by. Another story similar in the city of Beitar, uh, not long ago, a firstborn child was born to a couple after 13 years of waiting. And the story was as follows. A few years ago, he was the, the father was in, well, before he was a father, the man was in Sefat, and he was there for a meeting. And many respectable people were present, but one of them humiliated him in a very, very cruel, nasty way in front of everyone. And although he wasn't the type to, um, to speak up, but... But this got him really, really upset and he was about to lash out in response to defend his own honor until one of his friends went up to him and said, just, just leave it alone. Don't answer back. Don't answer back. Accept the shame in silence. In fact, I have an older brother who needs a shiduch. Please give him the merit of your silence. And, I, and the person agreed. He agreed. Two weeks later, this bachur was engaged. Got engaged, got married. So the man went back to tell his wife what happened. The wife was upset. Why didn't you keep the merit for yourself? We need a child. If this is indeed the reward that comes by remaining silent, why don't you just keep it for yourself? Why give it to someone else? But at least now she learned the remedy. And she anticipated, the wife anticipated a time where she would be embarrassed and she was going to remain quiet to take that merit to have children. And a year after that, again, in the city of Tzifat. This time the husband and wife were together on a vacation, minding their own business, and some cruel people walking behind them, insulting them in a terrible way. And the wife began to cry, to shed tears. The husband says, I thought she started crying because of the humiliation. And I was ready to answer back, but my wife told me, no way, silence. And I understood what she meant. She was crying and praying to Hashem that in the merit of the humiliation she was suffering, she would bear a child. And she walked on. They both walked on without a response. And he says, exactly nine months later, our first daughter was born. Unbelievable. Unbelievable story. The power of humility learned from the menorah. Sometimes the greatest thing in life comes from the smallest uh, being. And that is humility. The parasha actually opens with a commandment of God telling B'nai Israel, Make a mikdash and I will dwell in them. And the Mefarshim famously asked that the wording seems to be wrong. The grammar. Instead of saying, make a mikdash and I will dwell in it, 
It says, in them. It should say, Veshachanti betocho. In it, singular, what's betocham? The Alshich answers, Veshachanti betocham hints that because of the Mishkan, God will dwell in every Jew. This isn't solely something that happened in the past. Vechen ta'asu. The Torah then says, and so you shall do. What is Vechen ta'asu adding? Rashi says, Vechen ta'asu ledorot. So shall you do for generations. Which means that we can build a Mishkan and a Bet HaMikdash even in our generation. How do we do so? The answer is because every person can become a Bet HaMikdash and the Shekhinah, God's divine presence, can rest on him. How? By studying Torah, by listening to Torah classes, by reading books of the wisdom of our Torah. The Torah atones for all Averot, for all sins. The Tzeror Amor writes, the cover of the Aron, the Holy Ark, is called the Kaporet. The Kaporet has the root word of Kaper, Kapara, Yom Kippur. It's Kapara Lekol Toledotam. It's an atonement for all sins. Torah study also purifies a person's mind. So when a person studies Torah, he becomes cleansed from all his sins. He attains a pure mind. He acquires wisdom of the Holy Torah. And these factors turn him into a palace for the Shekhinah to rest. And even if he was distant from perfection, even if he's still distant from being perfect, he can merit that the Shekhinah will be with him. What can we compare this to? Of a king who's traveling and he needs a place to stay overnight. And he found a simple hotel, not glamorous, but more or less clean, comfortable, and the king stayed there. Why did he stay there? It's not a palace. The answer is he's traveling. While traveling, there's nowhere else to go. It's a fitting place for the king to stay, so he stayed there. The Nimshal is Akados Baruchu Hashem, king of the world, resides in the most beautiful places in Chamaim. And when the Bet Amidash was around, he had a physical home here on earth. But when the Bet HaMidash is destroyed and Hashem is seeking a place to live, if a person studies Torah, guards himself from Averot, although he isn't perfect, it's still a sufficient place in our exile where the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, will reside. No question that Tzadikim create a proper abode for the king. It's pure, it's holy, it's majestic. And Hashem says, V'shachanti betocham, I will dwell in them. So we, we've seen that Hashem dwells in the Mishkan, and that Hashem also dwells with those who study Torah. Which one of them is more sacred? Which one of them is holier? The one who studies Torah. In Eshet Chayil, Shlomo HaMelech writes, Yekara hi mipeninim. She is more precious than pearls. Of course, she is in reference to the Torah. The whole Eshet Chayil is really an analogy to the Torah. The Torah is more precious than pearls. Yekara hi a Torah scholar is more precious than the Kohen Gadol who enters the innermost room of the Bet HaMikdash. The Kohen Gadol stood between the poles of the Aaron. But someone who studies Torah enters the Aaron himself, itself, figure, literally. When one learns, he is there in the Aaron. So therefore, fortunate are the people who study Torah. The holiness is immense. The privilege, the sachar, immeasurable. He is creating a palace for the Shekhinah to, uh, to reside in. You know what's amazing? 
Our rabbis tell us in the Gemara that the Aron didn't take up any space. Although the Aron had its dimensions, like I told you before, two and a half long, one and a half wide, one and a half tall, it didn't take up any space. It didn't take up any room. How is it so? Very simple. The Aron stood in the middle of the Kodesh HaKodashim. There were ten amot between the Aron to each of the four walls in the Kodesh Kodashim. And the Kodesh Kodashim measured 20 amot by 20 amot. If there were 10 from each side, that's your 20. So, But that means that the Aron equaled zero, equaled nothing. If it equaled anything more than zero, then it would have been more than 20, if you need a 10 on each side. So we see from here that the Aron didn't take up any space. Says the Khatam Sofer, that this teaches us that a person should never say that his place isn't conducive for studying Torah. The Aron didn't take up any space because Torah is above time, time and space. Every place is the ideal place for Torah. Some people say, ah, if I was in a better school, if I was in a better seminary, if I had better yeshiva, if I had better chavrutas, if I had better rabbis, if I had better teachers, I would learn better. I can't learn here. Adults use similar excuses to explain why they aren't devoting themselves to more Torah. But every place is conducive for studying Torah. Look, we're all on Zoom. We're having classes by Zoom, using internet connection, in our own private studies, in kitchens, in dining rooms, in classrooms, in meeting places, in offices. The Torah was given in the desert, and not in Eretz Israel. Once again, to hint that every place, every situation is ready conducive for Torah. If one wants to study Torah, he will succeed no matter where he is. People have aspirations to accomplish a lot. They want to be mekarev, thousands of people to Torah and emunah. Is it possible? Our holy Chachamim say that it is because cloudy are like one person. They are united on the realm of their souls. One person's teshuvah, repentance, one person's attachment to Torah brings an influence to all the Jews in the world. Since all of B'nai Israel, are like one person, therefore when one person becomes righteous, it has an effect on all of Klal Israel. And when one person sins, it has a ripple effect on all of Klal Israel. So therefore, we have to rouse ourselves in Teshuvah. And as you do Teshuvah, as you perform mitzvot, intend that brings everybody else to perform mitzvot and to do Teshuvah as well. That's why the Pasuk says, Shuva Yisrael ad Hashem Elokecha, Kechu imachem devarim veshuvu Hashem. Do Teshuvah Yisrael until Hashem your God. Take words and return to Him. The beginning of the Pasuk is talking to one person. Shuva is singular. The end of the Pasuk is speaking to many people. Kechu imachem devarim veshuvu Hashem. That's plural verb. And the rabbis tell us it's because one person began to do the teshuvah and that resulted in many people doing teshuvah as a result. Because on the realm of neshamot, of holy souls, that one person's teshuvah, his performance of mitzvot, influenced everyone else to improve. Kishav api mimenu. I'm no longer angry with him. The Gemara teaches from the Tzvasuk, even if one person repents, Hashem forgives all the Averot from Bnei Israel because again, Teshuvah arouses everyone else to do it as, as well. It's impossible to go to, around the streets and to give Musar to people and bring them back uh, uh, to Torah because if we will do that, then when's a person going to learn? 
if I spent all my day giving Musar to people, then how can I improve myself? So what does a person do? Says the Chosev of Lublin. Very simple. He studies Torah Lishma. For the sake of God, he studies. Wherever he is, he studies B'Shem Kol Yisrael. That should be a merit for all of Klal Yisrael. And that will inspire Teshuvah in the people's hearts. And in that way, it's as if he gave Tochacha and taught him to follow Hashem's path. Maybe that's the meaning of the Pasuk in Tehilim. Ashrei Adam Ozlovach Mesilot Bilbabam. Fortunate is a person whose strength is with you. The paths are in his heart. Oz is the Torah. Ashrei Adam Ozlovach. The Pasuk is saying that when a person studies Torah, even all by himself, Mesilot Bilbabam. This opens up roads in others' hearts. It rouses them to do Teshuvah. The Chazon Ish will conclude with this, writes famously in his letter that just as the limbs of man serve different purposes, the eyes see, the ears hear, the nose smells, the hands do, so on and so forth, so too Am Yisrael is made up of one body, uh, is like one body made up of many people. And each person must do his part. If Bene Torah study Torah sincerely, it will save many children and many adults from thoughts of sin, from thoughts of heresy, from Averot, the holiness that will come from their learning Torah will, will, pour, will pour forth a spirit of holiness in the world. In the neighborhoods where there are true B'nai Torah, it's, you could see it. Communities that have religious institutions, that have yeshivot, that have kolalim and Jewish day schools. Amongst all, whatever part of the spectrum, but it's, it's focused for L'Shem Shamaim, for the sake of serving God and performing of His mitzvot. You see the difference in the people. You see the difference in the community that you belong to. If they tried to accomplish the same thing in any other way, they wouldn't succeed. Because the Torah teaches morals, teaches how to behave, teaches how to be a human being. Teaches midot, teaches laws, teaches how to be a family person. This is all found in the Torah, in the wisdom that we seek. And even the people who are not so engaged in Judaism, but they're affected by it. They're affected positively from that, from the, by their influence of, of the people that are worshipping HaKadosh Baruch Hu and doing whatever they can to serve Him with happiness and as well with fear. And that's amazing. That's what we dis- discover. That's what we're able to see. The amazing zechuyot that a Jew can attain. A person is able to study Torah and think that he isn't accomplishing too much. What is this guy doing? Okay, so he's learning in his study and he's reading a few Mishnayot. How is it affecting this world? He's wrong. It's affecting the world in ways that are immeasurable. He's bringing thoughts of Teshuvah He's bringing yearning of Torah study into the hearts of of hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe millions of people. We're all connected. Every person's growth affects everybody else. And that's why it's so important that we work on ourselves, whether it's through our midot, through our study. We're like one menorah. We're like all a bunch of branches and we're all stemming towards the middle. Right? We're all kind of connected into one. And each one of us has our own lamp, our own fire at the top. 
And although I'm different from you and I'm separate from you and you live in your home and I live in my home, but nevertheless, we stem towards the center. We're all made of, of pure gold. And we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for help. We ask Him to get us through all the things that we need to find us the Berachah, to help us survive, to, to, to seek the Yeshuot that, that we want. And we take the gold and we throw it into the fire and we say, Hashem, help me. And I, I place all my trust in you. And when I do that, and when I have that intent, and it's Lashem Shamaim, and I know that everything I'm going to do is for your sake, and only your sake, and there's no question that the world will be a better place, the Jewish nation will be a better place, Jews from all spectrums, on all spectrums, will be influenced for the positive, the zechuyot, the merit of every word of Torah that I study, every mitzvah that I perform, like I said, immeasurable. And we'll take all of Kalisil a very, very long way, Bezrat Hashem, with the lessons we learned tonight of the importance of Teshuvah and Torah, the importance of humility, the importance of making myself a Mikdash, of making myself like a Mishkan, Veshachanti Betocham, to allow a Kadosh Baruch Hu to reside, to dwell inside of me because he feels that I am important. And there's nothing more important than that to know that god considers me important that i am holy and god wants to dwell in me so that i can make a difference in the world wishing everybody a wonderful night be well